Hello and welcome to Go Write Yourself, the only podcast dedicating you or dedicated to you to getting you off your fat butt. Uh, and so you can go I'm dedicating and... you to the conf- to the concept of dead of can we start again all right now hold on <laughs> you tried to get in there I... with it and it didn't work and I... <laughs> now we're back here uh, but the point is to, I... to get you to get off your fat butt and go right yourself yourself okay fair enough there we'll you go all right now that's all how right. you do an intro that's yes. how you do an intro this is this is our this is our lesson on doing intros. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's no reason to continue listening. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Please no, continue listening. If you uh, thought that was good, wait till you you see what we've got in store for you now. Right. It's more of Walter Benjamin, the great Walter Benjamin. I don't know how great he was, but uh, certainly the pieces that we intend to cover in this little. Many series are great, as um, I think. Anthony is I'm, very I'm excited about him. Revisiting him, very excited. Yes, I, I was up late last night. Um, Doing uh, all of the with, things on the list that we talked about last time. With excitement. <laughs> uh, yeah, with, uh, with excitement, could barely get to sleep. I was so excited. Just foaming so at the excited. mouth with excitement. Right, because um, today we're going to have a look at has 13 theses for critics and as those of you who are regular listeners might know uh so I spent... oh come on <laughs> okay okay I'll there, stop. There, there, there might be tuning in from the future when we're actually popular right <laughs> what a dark yeah. dark future that may be <laughs> well anyway i i spent over 10 years as a theater critic who knows i might re-enter the fray because uh, as according to according to Walter Benjamin, the critic is the strategist in the literary battle. The but more on that, you're going strategist. To, you're going to present. Hey, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be the one, you know, splitting hairs here. If you want to say, I have a friend in my Dungeons and Dragons group that pronounces uh, Paladin group Paladin, and uh, well, I, I try said... so hard to let that go every time. All I knew was Paladin when I was a small child, but this sounds like a fully grown adult. When I first played Dungeons and Dragons, it was definitely Paladin. How should it be pronounced? I always thought it was Paladin. I thought that was the right. Uh, no. I thought, yeah. Yeah, I think that is the right way to do it. But yeah. um, anyway, how they sp- who knows how they spoke in the 14th century? Now this yes. is important. So, as what do you think about people who say details instead of details? Details. That, that's less. Details. Uh, <laughs> that's less. Uh, kind of, uh, skin crawling to me. That that okay. that is. Le- that sounds. That sounds more like you're just going a long way to make yourself sound. Uh, it, it, you know, informed. It's like you don't understand how details is pronounced correctly because you didn't work in academia. But but I mean, usually most people say details, but yeah. some subdivision of people say details i wonder if walter benjamin would have said details or details probably he would have said i, I feel like know. he's the kind of guy that would have said details just from gonna... reading his writing that's my that's my personal take okay. on it i was going to try and do a german accent but i didn't have <laughs> he math which is the german 
expression for the, the capacity. What? The masts. Masts. Mast. Masts. So okay, this is right. this is topics for another like, episode. Yeah, exactly. Mast is uh, mast is like to do the verb to do, but um, it really means like in that um, like I have macht. the power. Oh, macht. macht. I have like the means. No, yeah. mast. Not maths. M a c h t. Where did you learn German? Machen in high school. Oh, okay. I took three years of German in high school. Yeah. What kind of weird American takes German? I feel like I'm justified in having taken German, but you? I I took German specifically because I was weird. Uh, All right. 90% of people take Spanish in America. We have, we have so much in common. Yeah, and I mean, why wouldn't you learn Spanish? Yeah, it's it's most of the people that took Spanish took it to get out of learning a language, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's that's dumb. I, I want to yeah, actually learn a language and speak in code with my friends. to learn German because it's almost useless, except for I went to Mexico and started learning, stopped learning, relearning German to learn Spanish. Then a year and a half later, go to two conferences full of German speakers. And I was like, if I could just stick with one language, maybe I'd be fluent in something. I know. I know I should I should put more effort into into kind of refining my German, but I don't. Then we anyway, could read Walter anyway, Benjamin the, in the original language, although I don't know if he wrote this in English or German. That would be, it seems he would kind of, you know, split split the difference there, considering he wanted his works to be more. He, he was probably translated several times, though I, I haven't looked it up yet. Hmm. So, anyway, shall so we the go? critic is the strategist in the literary battle. What does that mean? What What is a literary battle? And ah, see. How does one use question. strategery in it? Well, okay, this is very the, the, good question because this this belongs in its proper context. Um, Walter Benjamin was associated with the Frankfurt School and uh, what came to be known as critical theory, which was the idea that well, I guess it comes from Marx, who said the purpose up to him. So, um, up to Marx. Important? Up to Marx. Philosophers took it as their job to explain the world, but Marx saw it as the the purpose of the philosopher is to change it. So they were influenced by Marx, and their whole ethos was to critique society in order to make it better via bringing about socialism. So okay, when so, he so he was a bit more pragmatic than other philosophers were. Well, I mean, I think what Walter Benjamin is saying here is that every play or piece of writing or whatever you read has an agenda. Um, there's no, there's no objective writing. Even if you report the facts, you've selected the facts, so you're going in with an agenda. Now, the critic is in a literary battle. He represents his ideology, and you're meant to. Um, yeah, you're meant to enter the fray and change the world by being a critic. So that's what that means. And uh, guess the reason oh, why he, the reason why he puts it as number one is that's the way that you meant to connect, contextualize the rest of the article, right? Remember, critics, you're in a literary battle here. You need to get your point across. If something's crap, you need to make it known that it's crap. And if it's good, you need to make it known that it's good. And um, you need to beat the crap out of crap. 
right? Perhaps today uh, more than more than the past, considering uh, the term, you know, it was such the it was such the prevalent term culture war that people right. uh, are oh, that's using. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. These people were um, on were the front lines of the culture the war, so to speak. Yeah, they, they, these were the progenitors of the cultural warriors today on the left. Absolutely. It was a straight line from Walter Benjamin's associates at the Frankfurt School to the culture war today. Um, although I don't know how they would, yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know how they themselves would, well, I mean, they'd be in the thick of the battle, but. Um, well, kind of, be, I think. What, I what think they'd what be saying. By, yeah. Yeah, what they'd be saying is, I don't know, it's come, go on. These, well, these ideas. I, I think what he means by strategist in this in this context is that like you know you have a, like that would imply that the author of a particular work is the the infantryman you know he's he's right. he's the person on the ground who's shooting the you know quote unquote gun mm -hmm. uh, and the the critic is the person that frames the work uh, right. and sort of yeah and sort of would direct public thinking uh if one if one likes to read critics and one uh looks for direction when selecting a particular work to read you might go to a review and god help you if you get tons of crazy uh you know snyder cut fans and they're very biased opinions on things but uh if you look at you know uh, like a Roger Ebert article uh, or something of that nature, or the guy from The New Yorker who's also a very good film critic, then you might, uh, yeah, your your thinking might be framed by this, and then you might select your, uh, your culture or your media differently based on uh, what the critic has said. Right. Uh, and in this, in this particular war, uh, when one has strategists and foot soldiers. Um, it's interesting that number two on this list is he who cannot take sides should keep it. silent. He who cannot take sides should keep silent. So first of all, what he's saying is it's correct to be partisan. And there's also a direct um, reference to Wittgenstein, the um, I Who? think uh, the, the the philosopher of Wittgenstein, um, who said, "Whereof one might cannot speak, one must remain silent." Now, I think Who? that um, Who I is think this? that these guys were. Oh, okay. He's probably one of the, the more famous philosophers of the twentieth century. Um, he studied under Bertrand Russell, and then, in somewhat some way, became. A great influence of Bertrand Russell, and he's seen as one of the last great philosophers. He had two grand. He 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 tried to create a total system, and then uh, he wrote a second book, which basically contravened everything he said in the first one. Eventually, he's a very troubled man, but I think he was quite. Um, influential in this time and he was certainly them being German and Wittgenstein being German. Um, Fair enough, so he was probably influenced he, by yeah, him yeah. in some way. He, they, they were influenced by Wittgenstein. Um, so, but this, in, in, in this nature of being partisan, uh, 
you know, well, well, Walter Benjamin says it's not wrong, clearly, uh, but he also the nature of making it partisan in the first place. I mean, what do you think? Do you, you're the you're the Benjamin fan here. Do, do you believe that that what were the sides uh, in his time? I mean, well, I mean, I I suppose I wasn't thinking politically. I, I was just thinking, he said, like, if you're going to criticize, like, if you're going to write about other works, have strident opinions, take a side and make your mind be known. Like, when I edited other people's theater reviews, they'd be like, it seems to me like, you know, because they, they wanted to handle the show with kid gloves. And I would just take all that stuff out and make them state their opinions stridently. Now you might not be as you set yourself up as the authority, want to set yourself up in the authority as the authority, but that's not the style of writing uh, that someone wants to read in a theater review. Like don't be wishy-washy, be strident, have your opinions. And I think, I mean, I guess when you say what were the sides of the time, I mean, they were, they, he, he the obvious one is socialism versus capitalism or liberal democracy. So yeah. in this time, they wanted a planned economy, not um, a market economy. However, that's not the only, that's not the only, inter the political interpretation is not the only interpretation. You might have yeah. views over what kind of art is good, what kind of writing is good, what kind of writing you want to see. Do you like modernism? Do you hate modernism? Um, yeah. You know, and I suppose you, here he's just talking about the nature of critique, so right. it becomes yeah. And and he's and these these two really set up the the rest of them. I really like it. It's like look, first of all, remember you're you what you're doing is important. You're going into battle. You're going to make a point and kick the ass of your opponents. Two, um, if you don't have a side, if you don't have a side to take, then you know, just Shut fuck up. off. Don't get involved. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point in your mealy-mouthed article, right? If you've got yeah. something to say, then frickin' say it, right? Yeah, I, that's that. fair. I respect that. I respect yeah. it too. Yes, Third. I think it's the point of being a critic. Um, the critic so, hasn't... Um, oh, do you want to add something? Uh, no, I think you've, you've pretty much said it very well. The critic has nothing in common with the interpreter of past cultural epochs. It's number three. This was the most difficult one for me, because what's an interpreter of past cultural epochs? Um, that's I more just like think he's he's talking about uh, the critic doesn't you know the critic can only relate to uh, you know the time that they're critiquing in. Okay. Okay. You know, they, and they that, have... that's also a, kind of a Marxist notion that you know different different eras in history have different laws that govern them. You know that is it? Is that a Marxist notion? Well, yeah, it's I've kind of part of his, part of his theory of history. Yeah. yeah, I don't recommend it. If you want to read something, read uh, Anti-During or the Anti-German Ideology. Okay. <laughs> those are easier. Those are more accessible. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think that, uh, personally, without without any Marxist context here, uh, I'd say that, uh, you know, despite being influenced by, uh, obviously, studies from history, when you're when you're critiquing a work, you're the the information you have is literally just the work that you're handling and right. previous works that you find good. 
uh, based on your personal taste and your education. So when you when you interpret a work, you're interpreting something that also has those previous influences that you had. And so kind of both of you, the author and the critic, are working on the same platform of 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 this edge of of creation where you are at the forefront of of everything that's about to be made you, i mean you're in the present right so being in the present you interpret works in the present mindset whatever whatever that is and it becomes yeah it becomes influential in a way that past works haven't been or can't be in in you know yeah like this this point this third point here just has the the air of being completely in the present to me that that's what i that's what i get out of it mm. Mm. yeah you you make a good point it's like um piece of theater or whatever is kind of a snapshot of the era and you're judging it based on the mores of the era, the spirit of the times. I suppose, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Like you could be, you could be reading someone from the past and critiquing their play. Like specifically in theater, you could be critiquing an author. I don't know why a modern critic would, would go back and critique someone from the past. Uh, but if you saw it performed, uh, you know, the way it's meant to be, you'd be critiquing primarily the performance of the actors, uh, how a director has, has uh, done compared to previous famous performances. You know, I hear Cats isn't as good as it used to be. Mm -hmm. right. uh, <laughs> things like that. I don't think that... Awesome. Uh, you yeah i i would agree with this statement in that you don't have the same uh things to work with as a past interpreter of a work hmm. that's my take on it anyway uh, i i can't say i fully understand what he means but um Number four says criticism must talk the language of artists for the terms of the cynical are slogans and only in slogans is the battle cry heard. Now, for clarity, in the context, um, what is meant by the cynical is it's a term used uh, like for a faith sharing group. Um, so that means people who have the same opinions, I think so. Um, for the terms of the cynical are slogans, criticism must talk the language of artists the terms of the cynical are slogans and only in slogans is the battle cry heard so this is confusing it, it's a little bit confusing i i like criticism must talk the language of artists at first i thought he meant you, you should elevate criticism itself to an art and not um yeah how do i'm but, but i don't think that I'm is what about. he meant although i do agree with that i think he means you need to talk in the language of the forms of the time in order for your message to be heard. Well, yeah, but like why that and we obviously have, that makes we, sense. Like everything has genres. Every sorry, every every field of endeavor has jargon. 
And yes, no, was... th this I understand, but why is he relating it to uh, the slogans of, of faith sharing groups or of, of partisan groups uh, necessarily? That That's what I'm confused about. Like, why, why does the critic, though the critic speaks in the language of artists, that critic, he, he, he aims it specifically here at uh, slogan-wielding people. Which today is very apt, considering everything is reduced into a soundbite. But uh, in his time, I I feel like he this this statement to me shows that he's not just talking about critiquing artists specifically, though apparently critics talk in the language of artists. You guys at home, you decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you come up with it because we can't. We can't make heads or tails of it. Get in the um, comments. But, talk about what's going on here. Yeah, and share the podcast and follow us on Twitter. Oh, right. Yes. Follow us on Twitter. Wait, we, no, we don't have a Twitter. Sorry. Follow us on um, Instagram. Twitter doesn't exist anymore. It's X. But also follow us on Instagram. God help me if I ever make an X account. Fuck that. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. How so, dare you take that away from me, Elon Musk? <laughs> you know, well, how could you do this to us? I never really liked Twitter. Um, Me neither. Five. But unfortunately, I've 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 come to I've come to enjoy it more as I've continued on my career. Anyway, right, we could do a whole episode on Twitter well, or as an X. Um, five. I this was the most memorable to me. Um, like this is the one that stuck out to me that I remember 15 years later. Objectivity must always be sacrificed to partisanship. Partisanship, if the cause fought for merits this. Ooh. Objectivity must always be sacrificed to partisanship. Partisan. Oh, I can't. I tried. The only reason. <laughs> the only reason why I read it out a second time was I screwed that word up the first time, and now I've just dug my hole deeper. Now Sacrifice to partisanship, if the cause fought for merits this. This is again going back to he who cannot take sides should keep silent. Step yes. up, motherfucker, right? There's a culture war to be fought, right? Take a side, know what's right, represent the cause, beat the crap out of your opponents. Otherwise, what are you being a critic for? This I find strange, though, because uh, I could understand a critic taking sides interpreted as a critic should have an opinion about a work, but this specifically says you know use your voice in support or or a in opposition to a you know something like it 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 is basically saying have a bias yes like he absolutely he absolutely would agree with that you should have a bias because you should represent I see you that completely yeah. against being a critic. I, I thought a critic is supposed to evaluate things from an objective standpoint. There is no objective standpoint when it comes well, to... Well, that's, that's a different kind of argument. Well, I mean, uh, that's, that, that's what he's going to say. He's going to yeah. say there's no, there's no objective standpoint. You could be on the right side of the question and fuck your enemies. <laughs> so, yes, screw... I, that that seems immoral to me. Okay, I like I'm it. Just, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, right. That's fine. It's good. It's good that you'd say that. Yes. That's that's more juicy. I really like this, and it's really a development of the same theme. 
Criticism number six is a moral question. If Goethe misjudged Hoderlein and Kleist, Beethoven and Jean Paul, his morality, his morality and not his artistic discernment was at fault. That is interesting. And that's really interesting. That because I really enjoy uh, Goethe quotes. Mm. Like I unfortunately, I I attempted to read uh, like small, like translations of Goethe when I was in high school. You know, studying German. I don't think I could do it now. Uh, Even Germans would find it difficult because the language used is archaic German. So you're yeah, really taking like it's it it's slightly more difficult than than uh, yeah modern German, but but he did speak very simplistically, you know, when he's translated, it's, it's translated in, into. Oh, uh, that's good. Yeah. A very easy digestible, um, English, but it's, it's not, you know, it's funny because I remember, you know, I can't, I can't grasp out of the air. Unfortunately, I, I feel, uh, unarmed uh, disarmed by this statement because i don't have the context of goethe when he was speaking about holderlin kleist beethoven and jean paul so i feel i don't have the ground to evaluate it right well i mean that's the thing i don't know what goethe said about these artists but it seems to be implied that um well, it doesn't really matter. He's saying Goethe had things to say about these people. If he was wrong, don't say, oh, he's, you know, he, oh, he lacks some aesthetic sense. You know, he, he got the issue wrong. He was on the wrong side of, of it. I really like these. I mean, I, I, they get, yeah, like the, the ones that we're coming to. For the critic, his colleagues are the higher authority, not the public. Still less posterity. Okay, so it doesn't really matter if someone remembers you as a critic. What the public thinks, I mean, who cares what the public thinks? They're a bunch of muggles, right? They're not the whole yeah, point. Yeah, I find is, that a bit uh, I love a it. Bit bougie. Yeah. It's totally bougie, <laughs> which is interesting for a Marxist. But, yeah. um, you know, Marxists, they believe being they were, the origin of the term bougie. Then, <laughs> they believed that they were uh, on the on the leading edge. Okay, they're 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 on the leading edge of the fight. So the proletariat cannot be expected to be as far along as the vanguard. The vanguard is the correct term. So as a critic, if you're going to be a critic, you're meant to have a better aesthetic sense than the regular person. One one I loved was a story from George Bernard Shaw. He said he tried to shop around his books, his novels, and he was basically told these are too intellectual for the public, like the public's not going to get them. And uh, he said, well, he didn't understand this. Well, he, uh, or rather, sorry, not that he didn't understand it. Once he went to his friend who's an optician and he said he told George Bernard Shaw, your eyesight is normal which he took to mean that it was about the same as average. But he was informed yeah. by his um, optician, no, only about 5% of people have normal eyesight, or maybe it was 
exist. And he's like, oh, I see. Because I always thought the way that I saw the world was normal, but actually I'm refined and only five or 2% of people are refined. But we can't all live off each other. So the, the, the idea of releasing novels had to be shelved. And he said, as a critic, I found that exactly the reason why people didn't want to publish my novels was exactly the reason why they did want to publish my literary criticism, because I could see normal. Therefore, I could inform the public of how they should see, you know, and enlighten them. So, so much so kind of pretentious, but I kind of agree, like, as like a theatre critic, I, 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 I hate when people say, oh, it's just one person's opinion, because hopefully it's a refined opinion and it's got more context to it. I saw hundreds of plays, so I've seen so much stuff. Uh, so much more than most people, you'd hope that you would be able to see stuff that most people couldn't see. And my greatest aspiration was by pointing it out, you'd help them refine their taste and go, oh yeah, that's so true. Like I'll look out for that in future. And well, that, uh, so far, I, I yeah, so far, so, so far, so pretentious. So I think that's buried in there for the critic his colleagues, other critics, other people who are refined, you can allow them to judge you, but what the public thinks, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're light years behind. And and what, what people in the future thinks, what business is that of yours? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be some fucking famous king? Get back to your writing and start enlightening the masses. Over <laughs> to you. Well, this I find, this I find a very specific uh, like kind of in terms of genre because I don't think uh, you know I think he's completely right and what you said yes I, I that also that, that's a good justification for it because nobody really reads literary criticism except for literary yeah. critics uh, and when I and my editor at the skinny when I started writing um, at the skinny yeah, the, that's uh, that's the local magazine where I started yeah. writing theatre criticism for when I was at uni. Uh, one thing he said was, well, you know, reviews haven't really, criticism hasn't really been elevated to the, the state of an art form yet. In other words, he thought it should be regarded that way. And the other thing he said, he lamented was, we are irrelevant. <laughs> I would I point. would disagree with that. I would say that criticism is an art form but a lot I, of it, no, it has definitely fallen. is. I'd, just I'd, say, I'd say it's them. fallen in recent years to become more of, you know, Yelp reviews and, uh, you know, things of that nature where someone will, where people are, people are more willing to like espouse their opinions, which isn't a bad thing. But what is a bad thing is that other people are, easier he's more easily influenced by an uninformed opinion than they right. would They're have been in the past refined. Yeah, exactly i think yeah. when you were there used to be gatekeepers you need to get you need to be a good writer to get in a paper and you weren't com competing with yeah you had on the internet. you, you had a little a, bit of a yeah a reputation behind you that that could that that give that gave your voice clout and yeah, like Dorothy Parker or George Bernard Shaw or, or some of these people who were considered to be great critics yeah. of their time. And now they you really have... they really influenced the public. I think that's what Gareth meant when he said we are irrelevant because. Um, yeah, because I should, I should get him as a guest on the show. Because that, that actually would be very nice. 
but but because that that we don't have the the uh, fewer people look to us and uh, yeah yeah and there's just so much out there yeah that that I think is more easily digestible and quickly available they you'd rather eat uh, this is bougie of me to say as well but you know people would rather eat uh, fast food than read a, a you know a, a thousand word article that has a more cogently articulated thought process or, or critique for something mm-hmm. which that I feel like an asshole saying that but I also unfortunately think that it's true so nanny nanny boo boo stick your head in doo doo you have to you have to be willing to state unpopular opinions to be honest, like this is what he means, like when he says the public are not the higher authority. Like, if you're going to be a critic, are you going to like bend to what the public say? I mean, that's not an integrity. Like, like nowadays, it's harder than ever to take an unpopular opinion. Um, I don't think it was ever, ever easy, but you get so many ego strokes and benefits from seeing what's popular and the consequences of saying something that's unpopular that might even be true but um yeah or if you're yeah, going to say something that's unpopular you're saying it specifically for the attention you know you're saying it as clickbait yeah, so that people, people will come in that. and argue with you and it yeah it, and it becomes, is a good way to build a following it seems to be like if you're yeah. more of an asshole you're like I, so, I it, so it's like, not even it doesn't even matter whether it's true or not it uh, the only thing that matters is whether it's popular or not Right. And, and that's that's a terrible way want. to discern exactly. truth. Exactly. There's a I keep on yeah, it reminds me of so many things. Um somehow Anne Rand keeps on coming up on the topic. Oh, but, no. uh, in her book in her book, The Fountainhead, there's this guy, this media mogul who thinks he's so um influential because he owns all the newspapers, but he all, only he only says what the public wants to hear. And when he starts to represent his when his views change and he, he, he decides to be in integrity and represent the truth, uh, people start buying his newspapers. Uh, yeah. It also it also reminds me of what you're saying about, okay, so you brought something to my attention there, which is quite astute, because I thought, oh, it's really unpopular to say, it's really, it's really challenging to say difficult things now because you can get cancelled or this or that or the other. Um, like... But uh, you brought to my attention, or people just say clickbaity, unpopular things to build a following because it's because it works, and that is so true. And then that makes me think: who gets represented? It's the loudest, most obnoxious voice. This is why I'm not re- well represented on Twitter because I yeah. can't be bothered arguing with people. I can't be bothered making strident statements. That um, like although you so, seem but, a but very who, proponent of it, very big proponent. That, of it. No, I mean, what I mean is people go on X and say, like, some nasty, very nasty partisan, things. nasty statement yeah. in an absolute way, just provoke people to argue over it. Um, yeah. But here, and here's something seems... that happened. Like, if you take something like the men's movement, these, like, like the people who get attention and represented are the most, like, a-hole people. I can't remember what that guy, who, like, I don't pay attention, so I can't remember who that guy that's maybe a rapist or something like that, who got Oh, you mean Donald attention. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Is he part of the men's movement? I don't uh, know, but he's loud and obnoxious. and He definitely is. Yes. Um, 
like he's an, he's a perfect example of why partisanship works because every everyone else got up and tried to get everyone as many people as possible to like them whereas he said right these people they're never going to like me no matter what so i'm not even going to try and talk them into it i'm just going to face these people over here who are likely to like me so while everyone else was begging please vote for me he was like f you guys i'm going to focus on you and that worked um yeah i was thinking of andrew tate Right. It's more of a it's more of a strategy than it is a message now. You, you know, it's it's a method, exactly. not a message. Yeah, exactly. And marketing, they say, don't try and sell to everyone. Find out who your ideal client is and try to sell to them. Because if you try and sell to everyone, you'll try and sell to no one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the guy I was thinking of was Andrew Tate. I think he was in the men's movement. I don't follow. Oh, he's oh, not just and not a nice dude from all I hear. Right. Yeah. And there's a, before it was that pickup artist Rush V who said lots of misogynistic things, right? Yeah. But there's like guys like Warren Farrell who were in the feminist movement are very um, conciliatory, explain both sides of the question, are very well informed, and come out of a compassionate place. But they don't get like tons of media attention um, in comparison. So it's, it's quite no, it becomes problematic because you have these guys at the forefront who are just uh, yelling and screaming and talking about like plastic is making you gay and all of this stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, right. But it's like uh, yeah, exactly. But they're the people that the algorithm seems to select for. Whereas the people who um, make their points in a like compassionate, um, well-rounded way, that's just not as click clickbaity. Yeah. It's it's yeah it's unpopular to yeah to be right it's that that yeah to, and it's unpopular to be kind that's yeah the, that, that's the worrying thing yeah that is well, that is perhaps even more worrying it is I mean it's like it's like especially when you're trying to like make a make a positive impact in the world and you don't want to be combative you want to bring people together it's really quite um. I guess it's a worrying trend. I mean, things have got more partisan than ever. So maybe Walter Benjamin is disproven. Um, Perhaps. Uh, we will see as we continue our exploration of his work. Number eight. Austerity forgets or acclaims. Only the critic judges in the face of the author. I freaking love it. You go first. Yeah. Well, uh, what does he mean by... Okay, so this is another thing where it's you shouldn't care about who's reading you in the future. The, oh, no, oh, no. He's saying you're an artist, right? In the future, maybe you'll be forgotten. Maybe, maybe you'll be lauded. But that's in the future. You won't be there to see it. But the critic writes in the same time as you and tells you what's what. So that, that's what he's saying. Okay. All right. So this Only is another. Only the critic judges in the face of the author. I can I can put this out knowing full well that whoever wrote the play, yeah, is going to read the fact that I said all the reasons why it's a piece of crap. Yeah. So so you shouldn't care about like what they're uh, what they're saying about you in the future, but you're you're talking. It's it's sort of he's sort of like having a he's sort of saying like you should have a conversation with the artist. Right, and you should, and yeah, you're you're only the critic judges in the face of the author. The critic is is um, fulfilling the bold role of 
stepping up and yeah. making a, an opinion that might embarrass someone, hurt their feelings, or come back and embarrass them when everyone else thinks the piece is, is great and the and the critics obviously weigh off the pulse. But this That's is the true. point. There, Every time a, you speak, it's a risk. Strand here. There's a strand here of being on the pulse, isn't there? That's like yeah. when he said the critic has nothing in common with the interpreter of past epochs. So he's yeah. talking about being up to date with cultural trends. Yeah, this is very much about being in the present, I'd say. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Yes, I, I, yes, I, I like it a lot. It's very I love nice. this piece, yeah. Yeah. Number nine, uh, polemics mean to destroy a book in a few of its sentences. The less it has been studied, the better. Only he who can destroy can criticize. Yeah, I this think is interesting. It's good, yeah. He's only he's remaking his point. I hated writing critical reviews, but a couple of times I wrote I savaged people, but I never ever said something was bad just because like this is bad. I always explained the reason why why it wasn't good and how to make it better. And one of them in particular, I have to say yeah. What made it so scathing was my use of language was really good. <laughs> I don't mean to blow my own trumpet, but like it was such a well-written review, and that's what made it savage. I, I only did it twice, but the pieces really deserved it. I didn't like it. That's why I don't really think I'm I'm not that in general. I don't think I'm that fit as a theatre critic because I'm always worried about the feelings. So that's another thing about <laughs> judging in the, in the face of You're the author. You were being very kind. You were, you were a kind critic. I was. I, I always tried to express what was... I always tried to be specific in my criticism. What do you think? Only he who, dis, who can destroy can criticize. Well, I thought this uh, might have something to do with uh, a deconstructionist kind of thinking. Uh, but Definitely. I, I just looked it up and and uh, Derrida kind of came a little yeah, later. Afterwards. He yeah. will have been in, he will have been deeply influenced by these guys though. These are this the believe, yeah. these are the progenitors to Derrida. Yes, the, the, this I definitely believe, and I think you're right about having uh, this sort of means you have to be detached from the work in order to evaluate it. But uh, in in that I I I mean having. You know, this being the only context I have for Benjamin, I do think it is like uh, something a little bit uh, where you must break apart a work in order to uh, in order to in order to evaluate it correctly. I think that he this this to me, you know, just gut reaction says that you should throw away your gut reaction. <laughs> I think when you're sitting there, and enjoying a play, you're not critiquing it, you know? The I said this to you, I think, it might have been in the past podcast, it might, it might have been somewhat recently outside of the podcast, but, like, when it, being a critic is difficult because you have to, it, because, it, because it's a job, you know? Sure. You can't go, you, you can't sit down and read something for pleasure, you, right. you have to you have to be totally. active and engaged with it all the time and consider you know consider it be considering its value and be considering exactly. the value of every choice of the author 
I loved when I got yeah, go to, go to the theater, and I love when I got to go to the theater and didn't pay after years of being a critic because <laughs> I, I could just switch off. I didn't have to be taking mental notes. I could just watch the damn play. Well, that was nice. Uh, that that must have been that. That was nice for me when I went to the the Edinburgh Film Festival and they gave me a press pass because uh, I had been I had been on that. Um, uh, the clickbait website uh, working for it uh, and like after I after I went and requested a press pass then then the clickbait website was like no we're not gonna we're not gonna focus on this and I was like great I don't have to do my job I can go and enjoy it for free and it's gonna be fun right. um, and that was very nice but I didn't have to I didn't have to critique anything and I find it very difficult uh, to critique film I find I, I have many opinions and a very light education when it comes to that particular type of media. But this 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 is this oh. this quote definitely seems to be uh, something where like you have to be you, you have to be willing to to fight this war. He he kind of references <laughs> a few times. Yeah, and it's very relevant actually to a recent. Um... TikTok that went viral where a woman was like saying, if you're going to review a book anywhere on Amazon or anything, minimum three stars. You don't know how hard it is to write a book. The minimum oh, yeah. you should give someone is three stars. And this went viral with people saying, this is the labor theory of writing. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't get the, the reference, the labor theory of value was popularized by Marx, but... Um, in my opinion, a mistaken economic theory, uh, which which is found in you earlier would, economists. You Adam, would, wouldn't you? Adam, Adam Smith and uh, Ricardo uh, did not have the correct theory of value. Um, <laughs> they were later, later, later corrected by, Jev by Jevons and uh, Anthony's Bob Bauer and one, my own. one other person. Uh, but like basically the idea was the value of a good is proportionate to how much work is put into it. Um, so that uh, that was carried forward and by would, earlier economists into Marx. So people people would say things like, um, "Well, then why don't you just dig a big hole and then fill it up again?" That's like tons of work, so that's obviously tons of value. So she's saying because people put lots of work into writing their books, they automatically deserve three to five stars out of five because yeah. they're valuable because put work in. I sympathize with that as a writer but uh, I wouldn't go as to say uh, and and that's why I was that's why I tried to be very kind with my reviews uh, even when I was being critical I tried to be specific because I knew people had put work in so yeah uh, uh, that's funny that you said and it's true you know it's so true someone left uh, I wrote a booklet called how to make small talk and someone left a critical review and I thought most of them are not critical it was like <laughs> You try and write the book. That's what I thought because you, you, you said that. Yeah. Said especially if, you, especially like if you're someone who's just like a random yeah. person, uh, and you're gonna go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. D d don't go and talk shit about people online, especially when it's attached to their, to to what they need to make a living. Like. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. His, his review was wrong. He said like that the advice and it was like nothing particularly. Uh, um profound or that you couldn't find anywhere else and I know that's nonsense because I consumed all the content and I had 
and uh, and all of the lessons in it were from the school of hard knocks. The rest of the the rest of the reviews are positive, by the way. But like, it well, did make me think. Like when he says polemics mean to destroy a book in a few sentences, it made me think. That's right. You know, you take ages to write a book, and in a few sentences, someone says this is not this is not very well thought out. It's trivial. When I wrote um, Universal Basic Income for and against, one of the reviews says uh, they just use adjectives like uh, they don't even they, they don't even critique any of the arguments. They just use adjectives and say uh, it's not very well thought out or something like stupid like that. And it's like, what are you talking like, did you read about? The book? Like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like um, or, or misguided. I was like, "What? What do you mean, misguided? It's it's not even like it. it you aren't even expressing a strong opinion necessarily, one way or the other. You're right. you're just you're you're yeah, literally yeah. giving both sides of the argument. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like they can't debunk my arguments, but they don't like my conclusion, so they use an adjective to say that it's crap." But they might as well have just left a review that said e o o o o o o. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess this is a very good. Um, it's just good, a, a good, good example one. of good uh, one a, one because, a, yeah, of how dangerous because, uh, or how powerful criticism can be. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's a really good phrase that that, that you destroy you destroy it in a. In a heart, very here it is a very confused look at the UBI. Um, uh, didn't really add value to the UBI discussion. The against yeah. argument seems strained and at times spurious. So he never said what was wrong with the arguments. He just said they were. I loved reading the negative reviews, and he didn't even spell oh, spell times right. He said at T I M R S, which is I In always terms. think fucks a negative review. So often someone leaves a negative review and they always have spelling mistakes. Um, it's good. It just makes you you feel better, I think. That yeah, th that's a nice thing. No, 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 no. When I see I see it on other people's Amazon reviews. If the critical No, I'm, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying like it's nice to see. Yeah. If the critical reviews aren't spelled correctly, I think the person isn't very right. And yeah. uh it's, it's it's a nice thing it's to like, see that like yeah, like kind of degrades their their you know, ethos a little bit. Again, his arguments regarding automations were, in my opinion, species specious. Species, right? Okay, he did specious, S P E C I O U S, and and he did not say what was wrong with them. He didn't debunk them. So anyway, those I've never received a single negative review. That actually debunked any of my arguments on economics. They were all saying, Boo. anyway, well, I, I do take a ta tangent. Yes. So if you have something to add, please do. Otherwise, we'll go on to number 10. No, I, I, I think I've I've said what I need to say about this, about number nine. Uh, Gen yes, number 10. Genuine, Genuine polemics. polemics. <laughs> That's awkward. I, I want to do it. Approach okay. a book as lovingly as a cannibal. Right, <clears throat> genuine polemics approach a book as lovingly as a cannibal species of baby. Do you want to do it now? 
Yes, uh, genuine polemics approach a book as lovingly as a cannibal spices a baby. Oh, spices. I fucked yes. it. You did better yeah. than I did. Oh, okay. And okay, I did it that, in the uh, Nigel Thornberry voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A genuine, genuine polemics approach a book as lovingly as a cannibal spices a baby. Oh, my God. This is frightening. Yeah, this but is, I mean, yes, I, I, I know he's doing it because it's brilliant use of language and it's a nasty analogy. It reminds me of when I before, when we back when we had bought CDs, I'd go into the city centre in my teens, I'd buy a CD and on the bus home, I would like open up the sleeve and read the sleeve notes. I'd, I'd not read the lyrics in case it ruined any surprises, but <laughs> I'd get excited. I'd get excited about listening to my new album. What did it make you think? Uh, well, I, I think it made me, I I never read the reviews for anything because I think, uh, because as a cannibal spice is a baby, they are getting ready to eat it alive. So I don't want to be, uh, I want to have, I want to generate my own opinion before, uh, before these polemics do it for me. So this, this kind of shows, yes, again, how dangerous a, a, a critic can be and how, uh, how, how, much, how much power a, your opinion can have over something. I think that that's a, like, he's literally saying, like, you're getting ready to eat something alive. Like, uh, when you're a critic, you have, you have this ability to, to, like he mm. said in the past, in, in number nine, destroy it. So. I love this, this idea of just, re oh, I've got a book, I've got a book I'm about to take apart, and I'm, I'm relishing, I'm, a, I'm relishing the very thought of opening this book and reading it, you know, I'm going to devour this book. Yeah, um, it's really, that's, a, it's always a fun uh, analogy. Number 11, Artistic enthusiasm is alien to the critic. This comes back to what I said before about not enjoying something. In his hand, the artwork is the shining sword in the battle of the minds. That's a that's also a very beautiful statement to make. I think this uh, this definitely comes back to what I said about you know when you're when you're uh, taking in a, a piece of art, you're you're not there to enjoy it. You're there to do a job. You're there to yeah. Yeah, fight the good fight, as he's saying. I think it's very, it's very much part of a uh, you, you, part of a. You have to remember that a critic takes a different role in culture than uh, than the reader or the author. You're you're this third person in this dynamic of of art and culture. Right. The critic. The, oh, sorry, no, go on. One go more. on. Go on. It's all you. 12. The art of the critic in a nutshell, to coin slogans without betraying ideas. The slogans of an inadequate criticism peddle ideas to fashion. I love it. First he's saying, as a critic, you need to be snappy and get to the point you're going to coin slogans. But underneath that snappiness, you're conveying a worldview. One of the things I really got out of a critic was being a theatre critic was the ability to say many observations in very, very few words and to coin a snappy phrase or two. So I think this is deep, this that's one. That's very, yeah, that's and very good. 
yeah. most good works are judged by their as an, ability to be digested by a lot of people. Sorry, go on. This is so, no, it's great. This is so um, emergent, as in all of these points relate to all of the other points, because it sort of harkens back to polemics mean to destroy a book in a few of its sentences. It's a few sentences, you destroy it. The art of a critic in a nutshell, to coin slogans, as in not write great big works, without betraying ideas. There's, you're still putting your point across, and it's a bigger point. It's a, You might have a political ideology. You might have an artistic ideology of what art in your age should be like. You don't betray that. Yeah. You just summarize it. Yeah. And the I like the point he brings up about how inadequate criticism peddles ideas to fashion. Like when you're which is basically saying don't let your criticism become an advertisement right you, you don't right. want to well i mean it's saying it be a hat yeah we well that too yeah we, you're gonna write yeah. you're gonna write what, what oh you know you've got the the the, the idea de jour oh i'm just you know you're a man of the you know you're just saying what yeah looking back for that popular kind of idea yeah yeah where you're you're, you're looking for the the idea of the times Number 13, Hopefully. the public... You read it. I'll read it. I want to read it. Nye, 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 nye. Um, <laughs> the public must always be proved wrong, me? yet always feel represented by the critic. I love it. What do you think? That's very good. I, I like that. I think this kind of, in a big way, kind of sums up what we've been talking about on the side here, uh, where you have to... you It's your job to give... Uh, a right, a correct idea uh, that might not always be popular, but mm. also is true. You know, yeah, you yeah. you have to represent the public, but also show them that is something that they didn't really realize uh, the first yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're going. You're going to get out there. Like again, it's this idea that the the you're at the vanguard and the public aren't quite there yet. So whatever's popular, it's probably wrong. And you're going to show that. However, however, you show it, um, you, you have to do it well enough like, yeah, that yeah, you still, you still connect with them in a certain way. Yeah. 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 That's really good. Well, I hope that we've connected with the public in a certain way while also enlightening them. Please follow go underscore right underscore yourself and Twitter. <laughs> Head no, on on in Instagram. We don't have Instagram. a Twitter. We have an Insta. Oh damn. Yes. Okay. Please follow go underscore right underscore yourself on Instagram. Head Bajor has done some freaking sterling work bringing up the Instagram. I, I love I love his posts. But we don't have a huge number of followers. Tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. And if you're a critic, uh, you can go write yourself. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go critique something. Go critique yourself. yourself. Yes. But also critique us. Yeah. Next time, more Walter Benjamin. Yeah. There we go. So, See you later. See you later.